Hey friends, welcome to Wild Hearts with Janine. I'm Janine, the host of this podcast, and I am genuinely so excited that you are tuning in today. Wild Hearts is for those who are passionate about diving deep, keeping it real, reclaiming their passions, and getting after the things that they were made to do without apology. In each episode, I sit down with a fellow Wild Heart to talk about life, travel, faith, and everything in between. So let's dive in. Hey friends, we are back with another solo episode today, and I am so glad that you're tuning in. Today, I'm really excited to finally be sharing with you guys a little bit more about my journey toward slow and simple living, also often referred to as minimalism, with hopes of just inspiring or encouraging some of you to possibly pursue a slower, more intentional, more conscientious about the stuff in our lives kind of life as well. Um, So first, I want to give you guys some basic definitions for the terms that you're probably going to hear me say quite often during this episode. Let's start with minimalism. I'm going to borrow the definition as outlined by Ryan Nicodemus and Joshua Fields Milburn, also known as the minimalists. More on them later. They define it as minimalism is a lifestyle that helps people question what things add value to their lives. But clearing the clutter from life's path, we can all make room for the most important aspects of our life, health, relationships, passion, growth, and contribution. So basically, minimalism is a lifestyle characterized by less stuff and more of the things that really matter. Another term is slow living. This one can mean different things to different people, but I've come to see slow living as actively choosing to be more present in the moment, which often means finding ways to slow down and or disconnect, refusing to give in to quote unquote hustle culture, and just making more conscientious choices with how and where we spend our money. Another term is simplicity, and again, this one has many definitions, but it boils down to prioritizing those things in your life that serve a purpose and letting go of the things that don't. As a spiritual discipline, simplicity can be defined as putting the most important things first and choosing to rid our lives of those things that distract or hinder us in our relationship with God. And one final term is sustainability. This one has become a pretty... I don't know, pretty like hot word, which sounds kind of weird to say, but you just hear it like a buzzword. That's a better way to say it Um, over the last few years. And it can honestly, I think, be used a little bit too frivolously. But at its core, sustainability is about choosing to use resources that can be sustained over time, i.e. they don't negatively impact others or the environment long term. So you'll most often hear people talk about sustainable shopping, opting for brands or products that are labeled as sustainable. So those are some of the terms that you'll hear throughout this episode. I think that the word minimalism has kind of gotten a bad rep, um, or at least been kind of pigeonholed into meaning it can only look like one thing, like an all white house with like no furniture, super stark, um, a closet that maybe has like five outfits, like just like nothing. It's a bare minimum. And while some minimalists might adhere to that kind of like lifestyle, that stark of a contrast, I personally believe that minimalism is totally moldable, aka it isn't one size fits all. It's ultimately, I think, all about figuring out what works for you, um, what keeps you connected to and focused on the things that really matter in your life. I've identified as a minimalist for five or so years at this point, starting long before I sold everything I owned and started my solo traveling journey a few years ago. As an adult, I've generally just preferred living um, in a space that has less clutter, less tchotchkes, if you will, (laughs) Um, and just with things that serve little to no purpose. So if I find, you know, I come across something that I own and I just think, you know, this doesn't really do anything for me. It doesn't actually, like, it's not actually a functional thing or it doesn't bring me joy. I really just have no problem getting rid of it. (laughs) And with all of my cross-country moves, I've had three so far just in the last few years. Each time I've found myself just needing to fit everything I owned into my small car. And so... Could I have rented a U-Haul and taken everything with me and then gotten a storage container and, you know, shuttled everything back and forth? Yes, but it just wasn't worth it to me. It's a lot of money for stuff to just sit somewhere. And it wasn't even stuff that I necessarily, like, 
loved, if that makes sense. I just wasn't that attached to my stuff to begin with. So I think it just made more sense for me to get rid of it. And I don't mean throw it away. I try to avoid throwing things away as much as possible. So I sold things or I donated things. And if things, you know, if they weren't worth selling, like I didn't think that they would, they weren't in good enough shape or another person wouldn't need it, then I would have to dispose of it. But I try to let that be my last option. And so, yeah, those things just weren't that important to me. Even as I moved into the place I live now, it's a one-bedroom space, I inherited a lot of the furniture and dishes and decor um, from a friend of mine uh, named Whitney who previously lived here. She lived here for five years, and um, she chose to go move abroad while I was coming back from being abroad and just left a bunch of stuff for me, which was a blessing. And I've just chosen to either like learn to love the things and make use of them um, or donate them so someone else can make use of them. Uh, These days I would probably classify myself as a cozy minimalist. Like I definitely still aim to only own things that serve a purpose or bring me joy, but I still want my space to feel lived in because hi, I do live here. (laughs) Um, My quote unquote ideal home would be like the, um, English countryside cottage that Kate Winslet's character in The Holiday lives in. So if you've seen that movie and you know what I'm talking about, that's kind of my vibe, just with like less stuff, but like that cozy feel. (laughs) So let me share a little bit more about how I got here. This is a little bit about how I got into minimalism and simple living. So it all started when I read a book a few years ago called The More of Less by Joshua Becker. And I also watched the documentary documentary, (laughs) Minimalism on Netflix. From those two things, I knew it was a lifestyle change I wanted to adopt because not only was the allure of having less stuff hold me back a huge draw, I was so enticed by that. But I had already been kind of thinking seriously about wanting to be a more conscious consumer anyway. So I was basically hooked from the get-go. I started to look at all my stuff, you know, all my clothes, my furniture, all those other bits and bobs in my life with new eyes and with a new goal to only keep the things that once again served a purpose and or brought me joy. Like I mentioned earlier, I've never been super into stuff, um, so that helped. And it also helps that for most of my adult life, I just haven't had a lot of stuff. Um, It wasn't until I was living in Nashville the first time that I had to invest in my own kind of like big furniture items, which essentially started my nesting phase, if you will. And during that time, I slowly acquired things here and there to furnish and decorate my space, which at the time was a small bedroom. So it wasn't like I was filling a ton of space. But a few years later, I moved into the master, which was significantly (laughs) bigger, which meant I had more space to fill. And so I did slowly accumulate some more stuff. I lived comfortably with like a number of, you know, cute or cherished items about my space. Um, But then I decided, uh, if you've been around for a while, you know this, I decided to temporarily move back to my home state of California and start my traveling journey. So I chose to once again sell or donate all of the big things, all my furniture, and a good amount of the things that I had collected over the years, only keeping the things that were super important or irreplaceable to me. Um, And I packed it all up into my Prius. (laughs) So if you know a Prius, you know that's not a ton of space. It's been, gosh, more than three years since then, since I packed up all my stuff and moved to California. And yet my habits of like purging, um, the things that I just find unnecessary or, you know, lacking in purpose um, and trying to shop more sustainably, those things have continued, even as I've moved into my current space. Um, Because, well... Obviously, I have more now than I did back then when I was traveling. I'm not all that attached to a lot of the things themselves. Um, I mean, I like what I have, but I, I don't look at it and think I could not live without this or this thing is irreplaceable because as we know, most things are replaceable. Um Yeah, I just think I can probably credit a lot of my uh, quote-unquote minimalist mindset to having lived out of a pretty small suitcase for, you know, almost two years, which helped me to realize even more um, just how much I actually need versus what might just be nice to have. 
So while I got rid of all my stuff in a much more dramatic fashion than most people would because my circumstances were what they were, I just want you guys to know while you're listening in that regardless of what might lead you to it, if you're looking at, you know, simplifying or living a a more intentional, more minimalist lifestyle, the ultimate goal of minimalism is to simplify your life with just less stuff. Um, just to become a more conscientious consumer, thinking more in depth about the things that you're buying and why, and ultimately to end up with more space, more time, and more energy to focus on the more important things in life, which are things that you get to determine for yourself. So what are the perks of being a minimalist other than the things I just said? (laughs) Well, there are a lot of reasons why I personally love living with less, but the biggest is definitely having that freedom to focus on the things that are truly important to me instead of being weighed down by a bunch of stuff. I find that I have more mental and emotional space and energy to um, pour into the people in my life, like friends and family, and to pour into the things that I'm most passionate about, like writing or content creation or even this podcast, when I just have less stuff in my life. And not only can owning less, um, you know, lead to more freedom physically, but I think it can grant you more freedom mentally, emotionally, and spiritually as well. And honestly, isn't that something that we all kind of long for? Choosing minimalism has resulted for me in a slimper, words are getting hard, y'all, in a simpler and slower life for me in the sense that um, I just have less stuff clamoring for my attention every day. I spend less time cleaning and maintaining those things, which I love. I hate cleaning. I hate spending time cleaning and having a smaller space and less stuff in that space drastically diminishes the amount of time I spend cleaning, which for me is like all the praise hands. Um, and, And on top of that, I just have less stress when I'm like packing for a trip or preparing for a move. There's less stuff, which means there's less hassle, less time. I just like can't sing the praises of having less stuff enough. Um, It just brings me a lot of peace in my day-to-day life and for the big moments like planning for a move or something, which again is why I cannot hype it enough. And the beauty is that like as a lifestyle, it's really adaptable, I believe, to each and every individual. Um, You can put it into practice as much or as little as you're comfortable with. And then, you know, you get to gradually uh, experience what life can be like with less stuff. Or you can dive in head first. I mean, it's up to you, boo-boo. Do what you want to do. The numbers and the rules, though, they just don't really matter. Um, What matters is the freedom you'll experience in living with less and yet still living with the most important things, if that makes sense. And if you're wondering what my favorite part of minimalism is, it is definitely that having less stuff frees me up to do more things, to experience more, to travel, to spend more time with friends and family. I am saving money because I'm not spending all of it on stuff. Like there's so many things that I just absolutely love about it. Um, It might not be for everyone, the minimalist lifestyle, but I think being more thoughtful and creative. you know, conscientious about what we have and what we really need and then how we consume is an easy and I think a very important um, aspect for everyone to do and to consider. So yeah, those are some of my, uh, some of the reasons how I, reasons why I suppose I got into minimalism, why I'm so passionate about it, the benefits that I find from it. Um, And I want to help you guys do a little bit of that too, because I know that it can seem like a really overwhelming thing. And again, you know, I think it's gotten that weird reputation where we, we have it in our mind that like minimalism has to look one way. And I honestly believe it's just the complete opposite. Um, it's all about the individual and figuring out what works for you. I don't think everyone has to get rid of everything immediately. I also sometimes think that people might not have to get rid of anything, but maybe just attach less value to those things, which might eventually make it easier to part with them if and when the time comes. So I want to share some of my thoughts and tips on why and how you can do just that. Start simplifying your life. I'm calling it a crash course in simplifying. So if you're ready, let's dive into it. Um, As I mentioned earlier, my journey into minimalism began 
with making the decision to just get rid of stuff that I didn't really want or need that didn't serve a real purpose or didn't bring me joy. And if you think that sounds way too simple, it's kind of because it is. Um, There were plenty of things in my life at the time that I realized just were taking up space, both physically and emotionally and mentally. So I guess it's not both, but all of those things. And I didn't really need them or want them. They were just kind of there. Things like extra decor items, clothing that hadn't been worn in a really long time, and just other crap that was sitting around for those like just in case moments. So I started to just get rid of the things that I decided weren't really necessary anymore. Um, And it's a habit that I, you know, have continued to do and will continue um, to do for the rest of my life, I hope. I've just found so much freedom in in living with less. Um, So yeah, here are some of the things I focus on to live more simply that I think you can really easily start to implement and incorporate in your own life. So number one, let's start with your closet. Yeah. (laughs) Living in such a consumer-based society as we do nowadays, it's really understandable that our closets can be one of the easier and more mindless spaces of our lives to fill. Uh, That's why I think that starting with the closet is just like one of the biggest and best places to get started um, in your simplifying journey because you're literally in it every single day. Um, So I'm literally right now going to walk you through what you can do to start simplifying your closet. So let's go. My first piece of advice and the first thing that I even do uh, when going through clothes is to pull absolutely everything out of your closet, out of your dresser drawers, wherever you keep clothes, pull every item out. Um, You should probably set aside like an hour or two to do this on a weekend or something, but trust me, it will be worth the time that you put into it. So yeah, pull everything out. And then one by one, go through every single item. I know this can feel like a daunting task, um, but it is going to shed so much light on the things that you really love versus the things you've just been holding on to for some random reason. And then you're going to even see like things like, why did I keep this? Like, I don't love this. I don't like how I look in it or I don't like how it makes me feel or it doesn't fit. Like, anyway, let's let's keep moving. Um, I would... I would also recommend actually just take it a step further by trying on every piece of clothing. Um, I do this pretty much every three or four months. I try everything on um, just to make sure like, hey, do I still like this? Is this still my quote unquote style? My style doesn't really change to be honest with you. I just like like comfortable, (laughs) cozy, and cute. The three C's. Um, But yeah, try everything on. And as you're doing that, create three piles. Um, A definitely keep pile, a maybe keep pile, and a toss pile. But don't plan to actually throw those things away. There are other things we can do with those. Um, And while you're doing that, be honest and realistic in that process. Like, have you worn that item in the last three months? Do you think you'll wear it in the next three months if you haven't? Is it too small or too tight or too big? Um, Does it have holes or like loose threads? Sometimes those things can be mended really easily. So don't give up on clothing too quickly. I mean, I have this old Navy shirt that probably cost me $10 that I've had for, I want to say like four or five years and it got a little hole on it, but I loved it enough that I spent the four minutes it took to sew up that like to mend that little hole and now it's still in my closet I mean old Janine would have just tossed it because it had a hole in it but having less clothing and clothing that I actually love means I'm more willing to spend a little bit of time on fixing it or even like sending it to I have a friend who does alterations and she's working on two items of clothing for me right now a skirt that I actually got in Amsterdam, um, which has a little more sentimental value, and a dress from Target. It's a dress from Target. It probably cost $18. But I love it so much that I sent it to her and I'm going to pay her to fix it for me. So yeah, when you just have less stuff, but stuff that you love, you're going to be more willing to take care of it, um, even if that means spending a little bit of money. But if if those things just go into a landfill, that like adds to a whole nother problem that we'll talk about later. So anyway, create those three piles as you're going through everything. Now with the definitely keep pile, that's exactly what you're going to do. You're going to keep those items of clothing and put them back in your closet or in your drawers. Um, High five yourself because you did some good work in already deciding what you're going to keep. 
And then with the maybe keep pile, those things where you're like, I don't know if I want it, but I don't think I want to get rid of it quite yet. I recommend sticking those items into a box or a suitcase or a bag and putting it somewhere where it's out of sight, like maybe underneath your bed or in the back of your closet. Um, Because the purpose of it is to um, see if you reach for those things in the next three to six months. You can determine what your timeline is. But um, if you find that like, you know, a month in or something, you're looking for that one shirt and you remember you put it in that maybe maybe pile and you reach for it, that's a good sign that you should keep it. Um, but if the end, of, if at the end of that time period, be it three, six months, whatever you decide, you didn't reach for anything in that bag or like even half of it you never even thought about, it's probably a good sign that you can go ahead and sell or donate those items of clothing, which could be potentially putting more money in your pocket, which is never a bad thing. So yeah, um, the, the purpose of this is just to not the not jump the gun too quickly by either getting rid of stuff and then regretting it or keeping it and realizing like six months later that you'd never wore it again. It's just kind of that like in between, it's almost like insurance. You have insurance on these clothes just in case you decide to go for them. But after a set period of time, if you didn't, it's time to get rid of them. <laughs> so yeah. Um, and then with the last pile, the toss pile, I recommend first trying to sell or consign items that are in good condition because you'll make some extra money, which means you can invest it into future items. So a good question to ask yourself is, would I give or sell this to my best friend? And if the answer is no, then uh, you should probably bring them to a local donation center in your area. Um, there are always places like Goodwill, but keep in mind that like oftentimes what gets brought to big donation centers like that might end up in a landfill anyway. So try looking into any other local groups or organizations like homeless shelters or clothing banks where you could donate those things. And if, you know, if you have something that's like really beyond repair um, or it's like underwear or something, just toss those uh, because you should not donate those. <laughs> um, the second part of my personal minimal attitude toward clothing um, is in the form of conscious consumerism. So choosing to purchase items that are ethically and sustainably produced. Um, and yeah, honestly, ethical and sustainable items are often more expensive than traditional mass produced items. But I think the higher price tag is 100% worth it. And that's for a few reasons. First, you're going to find that, um, those products you're buying are made of more high quality sourced materials. Um, they're just made to last longer <laughs> and, um, yeah, they're made to last longer. They're made to stand the test of time more often than not, um, particularly in comparison to fast fashion or, um, big brand stores. And this is where I think quality really trumps quantity. Um, you buy less, but you buy better. And those things are going to last you longer, which ultimately over time help you save more money. Second, these products are often made in more environmentally conscious ways, um, which just often boasts a sustainability factor that fast fashion cannot at all. Like fast fashion is not sustainable, you guys. Just do a quick Google search into some of the big brands. I don't want to name them. I don't want to call them out, but maybe I should. You know, I'm kind of teetering that line. They're not good for you. They're not good for you. They're not good for the environment. They're made of crap materials. Um... Yeah, they're just not great. And do I have some of those things in my closet? Yes, I do. We will talk a little bit about that in a little bit. Um, but generally speaking, just try to look into other brands um, out there or secondhand shop. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this. Um, wait, no, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back because there's a third reason why I try to be more conscious consumer, and that is that ethical companies, um, if they're focused on ethics, which hopefully these sustainable brands are, they're able to employ people who might not have the opportunity to work in good or fair conditions otherwise. And um, oftentimes they're teaching people the skills necessary to create those products as well as providing fair wages to help end poverty cycles around the world. So that's huge. All right, 
rewind. Now I'm going to tell you some of my favorite ways to shop sustainably or some of my favorite brands to shop with. Um, a couple are based here in Nashville. One is called Able. Um, it's a Nashville-based brand. Like I said, it specializes in leather goods, jewelry, clothing, and shoes. And they employ women both locally here in Nashville and internationally. And they are focused on ending generational poverty through providing economic opportunities for women, um, which is awesome. I have had many Able bags um, and shoes and clothes, <laughs> and some of which I still have, some of which I've you know sold to friends because I'm constantly purging. But I love their brand and I love their mission. Another is Nisolo, also similar to Able. They are based here in Nashville. They specialize in jewelry, leather goods, leather shoes, and they employ hundreds of people in Peru, Mexico, and Kenya with fair trade wages and skill training. Um, and their, yeah, their vision is to push the fashion industry into a more sustainable direction, which is awesome. I actually currently own five pairs of new solo shoes. I love them all so much. I'm actually wearing their sandals right now. Um, they're leather, they're high quality. They last for years and years and years, and I could wear them every single day. Another great brand is Everlane, and they're based out of San Francisco, and their aim is to produce clothing that is of exceptional quality from ethical factories and with radical transparency. I would classify Everlane's clothing as pretty simple, um, pretty uh, basics, if you know what I mean. Like, it's kind of the basics of a wardrobe. And I love every piece I've ever gotten from Everlane, but especially their Renew liner jacket. I got it this past fall, and I wore it basically every day. I love it so much. And lastly, I mean, there are so many ethical, sustainable brands out there, so please do some research and find them. But do, don't do you dare sleep on apps like Poshmark and ThreadUp. I have personally sold and purchased so many items of clothing on Poshmark, especially in this last year. Oftentimes, I find myself snagging things like Madewell jeans, for $40 in excellent condition or Zara dresses at a fraction of the cost. I've gotten shoes, bags. I got a Madewell purse, um, crossbody bag for $40, again, $40. And I wear it every day. Like anyway, it's a great um, way to get really high quality items, but pay a fraction of the cost. Not only that, you can buy from brands that might not themselves be sustainable or ethical, like Madewell. Sorry to burst your bubble if you thought Madewell was ethical or sustainable. It is not. Um, they have some initiatives that I think are admirable, but as a brand, uh, they are not ethical or sustainable. But if you're buying secondhand from an app like Poshmark or ThreadUp or Depop or from a thrift store like in your local area that is sustainable and ethical because those clothings were already purchased from that brand now they're just given a new life if you buy them you get to own them but you're not necessarily putting back into that kind of endless cycle of consumerism uh, with those big brands that aren't following any kind of ethical or sustainable practices. So yeah, Poshmark, ThreadUp, Depop, local vintage stores, thrift shops, could not recommend secondhand shopping more. And frankly, this actually took me a while to get into. I was like not a fan of secondhand shopping, thrift store shopping. It just always felt kind of gross to me. And I don't know why. It's always just been a way I felt. And I really got over it in this last year. And I'm so, so glad I did because it didn't um, necessarily limit what I could purchase. Um, and yeah, Madewell jeans have always fit me really well, but I didn't want to keep buying Madewell jeans. I got, I've gotten three pair, four pair of Madewell jeans, no, three pair of Madewell jeans on Poshmark at a fraction of the cost, and I love them. So anyway, definitely check those out. After all of this, going through your closets, creating those three piles, deciding what you really love, and then looking into ethical, sustainable brands or ways to shop. What you ultimately end up with is a smaller closet, but it's filled with clothes that you actually love. Um, I found that it makes getting dressed each morning so much easier and so much like less stressful and even gives the opportunity to kind of think as, of your wardrobe as like, a curated collection, you know, of like beautiful and timeless things that just bring you joy and make you feel good. So start with your closet. 
Next, let's move on to the things, aka the stuff that takes up space in our lives and our homes, such as furniture, decor, books, and etc. <laughs> All the other things. I just think that these easily add up, whether they're things we bought for ourselves, things we've collected over the years, or things that we were given as gifts, and they're often the things that end up collecting the most dust. So with items like this, I recommend first taking their practicality into account, like do they serve a real purpose in your home or your space? Um, do they like have significant personal or sentimental value? If so, for either of those scenarios, then keep it. But if not, consider removing it from your space, whether it's temporarily or permanently through either selling or donating those things. When it comes to items like books, I personally try to only keep the essentials. So ones that I loved enough that I think I'll want to read again, or um, ones that have sentimental value, which to be honest, I don't have very many of those. But otherwise, I've just found myself reselling or donating most of my books after usually typing out some notes and quotes upon finishing reading it because I'm a nerd. And if I don't do that, I will forget everything in the book. <laughs> Now, the thing is here, some people really, really love their books. Um, they love their collections. They love for their shelves to be full. That's totally okay. Um, if that's important to you and that's something that brings you joy or serves a purpose, like, great, then keep it. But it's definitely an area where if you want less stuff, you can look at paring down if you really want to. Um, to that point, I love to read and I've always favored physical books over electronic ones, but I have found myself leaning toward ebooks over the last few years, um, not only because they take up less space, obviously, basically no space at all, but they're easier to travel with and to transport on an e-reader, especially in bulk. So I love mine. I actually rent books from the library via an app called Libby. Um, so it's really great because I can rent books digitally. It's great. It's so convenient. So I love, I'm learning to love ebooks, but there have been times where I've read one and thought like, oh, I need that book. I need that actual physical copy of that book. Um, so yeah. One last group of things that you can look at minimizing are your beauty or your bathroom items. The truth is that um, oftentimes we don't really need all the stuff that collects in our bathroom cabinets and our showers and all that stuff. So yeah, you can consider kind of paring down those products that you don't use, that you don't need, or that might even be expired. So make sure to check those expiration dates. But those are some of the ways that you can pare down the things in your life, be it books, beauty products, kitchen items, decor, the things that you don't need that don't serve a purpose that might be collecting dust or that really have no value to you, you can very easily sell or donate those things. Next, let's talk about mental real estate, which I don't know if it gets talked about too much when we talk about simplifying or minimalism, but I think it's super important. What we fill our heads with, I think, has the potential to um, really soak up our time and energy. And so I've personally made some decisions to kind of declutter that mental space, if you will, and try to put a few simple things into practice each day to keep it that way. Now, do I do it every day? No, <laughs> but I try to remember to do it as often as possible. So for one, that has meant less binge watching. Now I go through cycles of this, I feel like. If anyone out there can relate, let me know. Um, but when I was traveling in Europe, I lost access to Netflix, gosh, about two months in. And I think it's because I was in another country and at the time I didn't have a VPN which is a whole nother story for another day. And so I lost access to certain things that I would have wanted to watch on Netflix because I was in other countries. And so at first it was a bummer, but then I found like not having that access um, actually ended up being like a huge blessing in disguise because instead of spending tons of time watching, you know, a show or re-watching something like Stranger Things or whatever, I had a lot more time to read and to rest and to explore every day, which is like a way better way to spend my time. Um, and while I'm back on those kinds of apps now and I have the opportunity to binge if and when I want to, I 
don't actually want to. Now, does that mean I don't do it? No, I do still do it sometimes. But I don't really want to be doing it that much. So I want to spend just less time watching and instead try to fill my days with other things, um, things that I think are more important, like spending time with friends or working or, you know, creating digital content for you guys. So I try to do a lot less binging, a lot less watching. Um, let a, a better way to say it is less time consuming and more time creating and being with my people. Another way that I've tried to declutter mental space is, um, and I'll admit again, I'm not always the best at this, but it's doing my best to not open my phone first thing in the morning. Um, For a long time, a long time, (laughs) my phone was my alarm clock. And while I was traveling, obviously it made sense for it to be my alarm clock because I didn't have a separate alarm clock. Um, But, you know, for a long time, my phone, even living here in the space I'm in now, was my alarm clock. Um, And I hated it after a while because I found that not only would I snooze it like four or five times, which to be honest, I still do sometimes, even with a normal alarm clock. But um, yeah, Uh, but I found that then it was the first thing I did. I would like open up my phone, check Slack, check email, check text, open Instagram, scroll endlessly. I, I just... It's like scientifically proven to be bad for our brains to do that. And so um, I try not to. So one thing I did was I bought an alarm clock and it's very cute and probably I paid too much money for it, but I figured it was an investment because it would last a long time. But it has white noise on it. It has like sound bath noises, like meditation. It's stuff that I can do to help like wind down at night. I like to listen to white noise at night. Um, and then in the morning it has like a really kind of soft alarm where it, it's supposed to like interrupt your sleep more naturally, if that makes sense. And I actually charge my phone in the kitchen now. Now, have there been days I've also set an alarm on my phone so that I have to get up and go pick it up and then I've gotten right back into bed and fallen back asleep and or scrolled Instagram? Yes, (laughs) I have. But I try not to and at least I'm just proud of myself for even like taking those steps to try not to do that. And I can confidently say that it's a lot better than it was even just a few months ago by trying to do little things like that to not be on my phone first thing in the morning. And the same goes for at night. Obviously, if I'm charging my phone in the kitchen, I'm not on it when I'm in bed. I I either read or um, I go to bed. If I'm tired enough, I'll just fall right asleep. Otherwise, I'll read before I go to bed. Um, Something else I do uh, first thing in the morning instead of scrolling my phone immediately on those days that I don't do that, I try to drink a glass of water. Maybe I'll set my goals for the day. I usually have morning time, take Amos for a walk around the neighborhood, and then I'll dive into the things on my phone when I'm like (laughs) fully awake and mentally in the right mindset to be going into all of the things that are on my phone, if that makes sense. So yeah, cleaning up my mental space has set me up to just be less stressed in the day-to-day, which has obviously been a huge shift in my life. Now, am I perfect at it? No, because I'm human, (laughs) but it's gotten so much better. Um, In the show notes, I'm actually going to link a recent Wild Hearts episode where I shared all about establishing routines because it's honestly helped free up so much of my mental real estate. Um, And yeah, just given me some guidelines and parameters for uh, being a better human, (laughs) if I'm honest. So I'll link it in the show notes. So anyway, those are some of the ways you can get started on your own journey to a more simple minimalist, slow lifestyle. Again, there aren't rules that you have to follow. Like you can do your closet and do nothing else. You can do your things and do nothing else. Or you could just stop scrolling on your phone in the morning. Or you can do all three. And there's so much more to minimalism than just the three simple, you know, introductory steps I just gave you. There are so many resources out there, so many blogs and podcasts and books. And I'll... I'll let you know what some of those are in a little bit. Um, But yeah, there's so many aspects to a more minimalist, slow, intentional, simple lifestyle. See, all these words are just like interchanged all the time. Um, Because yeah, it really is just about choosing the things that matter most to you, whatever those things might be. So I want to take the last, you know, few minutes of this episode to answer some of your guys' questions from Instagram. I put out a prompt not too long ago asking for your questions and y'all delivered. Thank you. So yeah, let me answer some of your questions around minimalism, slow living, and sustainability. So the first question is, 
what are some ways that others can start simplifying? Um, so like I mentioned earlier, start with your closet. And then if you want to do even more, move on to your things like furniture, decor, books, knickknacks. Um, another area I didn't really mention is paper. Uh, we have a lot of I think men, uh, millennials are a little better about this, um, but like paper clutter is a real thing. So just look at the things that you're not like, that you're holding on to, but that you like might not need. So there are some things you need, like important documents, photos, those sort of things. But check to see what could be digitized, like what you could scan and store on a hard drive or in the cloud or whatever. And then look at what can be recycled and what could be shredded. Some things you need to keep physical paper copies of, totally normal. But there are a lot of things we hold on to that we really don't need. So yeah, just take a look at those things. And then look at your phone. I think your phone is a great area in which you could start simplifying. And to be honest, I probably need to do this. It's been a while since I've done it. Look at how many apps are taking up space or clamoring for your attention. Check out your notifications. Like, see if you can group things in a way that, like, it's just less stressful on your phone. I know some people will put their phone on grayscale, um, which I actually think there are studies that have been done that say it's better for your brain. But I can't bring myself to do that quite yet. Um, but I do mute notifications. I have do not disturb on during certain times of the day and especially at night. Just finding ways to kind of simplify your phone. Um, I'm not saying make it a dumb phone necessarily, but like just ways to make it a little less um, interruptive in your daily life. That can really help with some of that mental real estate we talked about earlier. Okay, what do you tell yourself to help yourself not buy things? It's <laughs> a really great question. Um, I actually have a few questions I try to ask myself before making any kind of big or frivolous purchases or really any purchases at all. Um, so my, the questions I ask myself are like, do I really need this? And I really emphasize the really in that question. Do I really need this? Um, then I'll, you know, ask, do I have something like this already? Does it, you know, work with the things I already have, be it clothing or decor? I really don't buy decor, to be honest with you, because I just think it's frivolous. I don't think I, most of the time I don't need it. Um, and if I do, I try and find it secondhand. But anyway, that's another question. Um, and then the other questions that I ask myself are like, is this useful or purposeful? Because if it's not, I probably don't need it. Like I, I definitely don't need it. <laughs> and the last question I ask myself, which often ends up being the one that helps me make that decision on whether or not to buy something, is does it aid or hamper my ability to live in the kingdom of God? Which I know probably sounds like a really dramatic question to ask about, like when you're thinking about buying like a dress or something. But it has helped me to kind of stop in my tracks a time or two. And not only like rethink the question, but like turn the other way, if you know what I mean. I kind of pivot and I'm like, yeah, this is stupid. I don't need this thing. Um, now, do I do this every single time? Once again, no, but I really do try. I even have a post-it note right here that I'm looking at right now above my desk that asks those questions so that I ideally remember to ask those of myself anytime I want to buy something. All right, let's talk about sustainability. There's a couple questions y'all sent in about this. So how can I know if a brand is sustainable? I know I kind of harped on a brand or two earlier for not being sustainable. Um, I would recommend checking out the website, and I believe there's an app called Good On You, um, which shows you a breakdown score of that brand or that company's ethical and sustainable ratings. So you just type in the brand and it will tell you if it's like great, good, not good enough, or bad, I think are their four criteria. And they go over kind of environmentalism, um, living wages, uh, materials used, all that sort of stuff. So check out Good On You to find out if a brand is sustainable. How do you justify the trash that comes when switching to more ethical, sustainable products? Great question. I think a lot of minim like real proper minimalists would say the most ethical things uh, or the most ethical products you could have or you could get are the ones you already have or something like that. But basically, if you already have products, 
don't get rid of them in favor of more sustainable swaps. Use up what you have now. That's actually the most sustainable thing you could do. And if that package is recycling, you should recycle it. That's another good thing. And then when you like legitimately are ready to switch to sustainable brands, um, I recommend finding things like refill shops. There's a couple here in Nashville where, um, I just like buy in bulk and I have glass containers that I bring with me and I get like dish soap, laundry soap, hand soap, uh, dry shampoo, body lotion, like all these things in bulk so there's no packaging. Um, So that's a great way to do little sustainable things. Um, But yeah, anyway, back to the actual original question about justifying trash. Um, Again, use what you have already. Don't make excess trash if there doesn't need to be. Um, Try to figure out what you can recycle, what your city deems recyclable um because you'll you might find a lot of plastic actually isn't recyclable which is a real bummer but um so I would say like it's not about justifying the trash it's just about being more conscientious about what you have and what you can do in the future um in terms of buying clothing products uh yeah things like that so Another question, another justification question. All right. How do you justify or offset the carbon footprint of airline travel? Oh, I feel like I just got stabbed in the gut as a traveler. Um, but it's true. Air travel isn't a great like option. It's not great for the climate. It produces a lot of the global carbon dioxide. I don't think it, it's like a, it's a percentage. I don't remember what it is, but it produces quite a bit. And so um, there are a few ways that if you're a frequent flyer and you want to help kind of offset that carbon footprint, there are a few things that you can do. Um, one, if the distance is less than 600 miles from where you are to where you're going, you're actually better off driving or taking a bus or a train. Not that we have a lot of those here in the United States, um, but <laughs> you're better off driving. It actually emits uh, less carbon dioxide into the air than flying would. Um, two, if you have to fly, opt for nonstop flights over ones with layovers where possible, um, just because, you know, there's more dioxide, carbon dioxide that goes out into the air each time you take off and land. And so one flight versus two flights essentially is what they're saying. So yeah, if you can do a nonstop flight, definitely try to do that. Another thing you can do is pack less, like larger, heavier baggage and cargo weights, they add to the amount of carbon dioxide oxidized. Wow, y'all have been talking for too long. They just add to the amount of pollutants being put out into the air. So if you pack lighter, that can help too. Four, avoid as much plastic as possible. So whether you're in the airport or on the plane, like try to bring reusables with you as you travel. Reusable water bottles, reusable straws, reusable utensils. That way you don't have to um, take the plastic from uh, restaurants or even from um the flight attendants and things like that if you have your own stuff with you, which helps the environment. And then five, you can choose to like financially offset your carbon uh, footprint by donating. um, I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's called carbonfund.org. You can make donations there to offset your carbon footprint. So yeah, that's how you can help offset those things uh, when you take a lot of flights, which we haven't done in a lot. Most of us have not taken a lot of flights in the last year, but as travel starts to ramp back up, that's something to consider. Um, Here's another question that's a little harder for me to answer, but (laughs) it's how can I get my partner on board? Um, Well, I don't have a partner, so I am not speaking from experience, but what I've learned from the books I've read, the podcasts I've listened to, all that sort of stuff, is like the first thing is you can't change another person. (laughs) So if you're going into that with the mindset of like, I'm going to change his or her mind, I'm going to make them a believer, um, no. You can only, you are only in control of and responsible for your own actions. And so there are probably things that you can do to make it an easier decision for them to make, like having a recycling bin right next to your trash can and maybe labeling it with the things that could go in there. Make that decision easier for that person. Um, Ultimately, though, you're just not in control of what they want. But if you are living that lifestyle and there's fruit of it, it's a lot like being a believer. If there's fruit um, in doing what you do and believing what you do, other people are going to be drawn to that. So um, maybe educate them in a way that's not, you know, 
forceful. Um, and then make it make the decisions for them a lot easier to do in their day-to-day life. Those would be like kind of my first steps into getting a partner on board with a more minimal, sustainable lifestyle. Um, minimalism is harder too because their stuff is their stuff. It's not yours. And even if you're married, like I would imagine there are some things that are just your partner's. Um, and yeah, some things might be shared, but you can't just toss their stuff. That's not a good way to start out that journey. So maybe have a conversation with them, explain why it's important to you, why you want to head in that direction, and just see if they're willing to come on that journey with you. Again, I'm very single, so (laughs) I'm probably the last person who should be giving this advice, but that's what I would recommend. Um, Okay, last question. How do you not lose momentum when starting out with sustainable living? Uh, I live by the everything in moderation rule. I don't think it has to be perfect to be good or to be progress. And I personally instill and I tell myself like 80-20, 80-20 all the time. So 80% of the time, try to be ethical and sustainable and like stick to those things. And then 20% of the time, it's okay. Like, don't don't be so legalistic have grace for yourself it's hard to i I think it's nearly impossible to be a hundred percent sustainable and ethical in your daily life so i try to stick to an 80 20 rule and just remember everything in moderation because i'm actually someone who's not a rule follower so if someone tells me i have to do something i usually rebel anyway so having an everything in moderation mindset really helps um so how do you not lose momentum start slowly um make simple swaps at the beginning uh bring a a reusable straw with you when you go to a coffee shop or (laughs) chick-fil-a the drive-thru oh man that's that's me speaking from experience um but yeah like start small and just work your way up and remember that it doesn't have to be perfect to be progress so that's what i have for you Um, And lastly, where can I learn more about minimalism and slow living? I'm going to give you guys some recommendations. All of these things will be linked in the show notes. But here are some books that I love. The More of Less by Joshua Becker, Chasing Slow by Erin Lochner, Minimal by Madeline Olivia, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, as well as Garden City by John Mark Comer. Those are more tied into um, faith. They're more faith-based, but I absolutely love them. Those are some of my favorite books. Those last two are faith-based. <laughs> um, there are some documentaries on Netflix that you should definitely check out. The first one is Minimalism, and the second one is called Less Is Now. Uh, those are both by The Minimalists, who also have a podcast. I don't listen to every episode of their podcast. Some of it gets a little bit too uh, out there for me, if that makes sense. But I do enjoy listening to most of their podcast episodes. There are a few other documentaries out there that I can't remember where they are, but I'll try and find them and link them below. But one is called the true cost which talks about fast fashion um and how terrible it is (laughs) for the environment and for the people who make the clothing um and all that sort of stuff and that one's one that I also highly recommend checking out all right you guys wow this is really long I did not expect this to be this long so thank you for sticking around but that's it for this episode (laughs) finally right um thank you guys for tuning in as always I hope that um what was shared today about minimalism and slow living and intentional living has been helpful and insightful to you um I hope it might encourage or inspire some of you to take that next step on your own journeys toward a simpler slower life so that ultimately you can find more time and space for the things that really matter Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Wild Hearts with Janine. I hope that this conversation has encouraged you to step out confidently and say yes to the things that God has for you. Hey, while I've got your attention, I would absolutely love it if you went to Apple Podcasts and rated, reviewed, and subscribed to Wild Hearts with Janine. It would mean so much to me. All right, I will see you guys back here when the next new episode drops, when I'll be sitting down with another great guest to talk about another wild-hearted topic. But until then, you guys, keep dreaming seeking and stepping out in faith.